I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Greetings from Stockholm, Bratislava and Prague. My name is Henrik. And I'm David and uh, you are listening to the Check Your Facts podcast. So we have a great guest today. Uh, his name is Wojtek Grujec. Uh, Wojtek is a digital journalist. He is leading a digital innovation team in Radio Free Europe. And they do a lot of interesting stuff. Is the outline too bold? Does medium consist of a platonic nothingness? And is the news industry being totally, completely wiped out by the social platforms. Those are just a few examples of the highly interesting topics we discuss in this great episode, if we might say so ourselves. Uh, And also we give you the recipe for how to do digital innovation in your newsroom for free. So just listen to this must listen to episode and uh, let us know what you think about it. Yeah, and with that being said, let's welcome today's guest. So, welcome to the show, Wojtek. Thank you, nice to be here. Um, perhaps we could start off uh, with you telling us a little bit about yourself. Uh, sure, so uh, I work at Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. I'm the digital and social media editor for the English language central newsroom here. And my team uh, was started when I came on board in September of 2015. And, uh, and yeah, it's the first digital team this newsroom has had. Yeah, and we've, the three of I'm... us, have, have met in the Digital Journalism Rocks community, um, where you have shared a few of uh, the pieces you've done, a few storytelling pieces. Um, and also you've dived into some of the discussions regarding digital storytelling and also digital design. Uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, my goal here is to produce quality journalism uh, and do it in innovative ways. So we do a lot of mixed media projects like you saw in the Slack chat. Um, microsites, we also call them, but we also do videos uh, that we publish on social media as well as uh, graphics just simple static graphics as well that contribute to both our articles and also live on social media very nice um actually <clears throat> um I've, I've seen a lot of the things uh, you've done like before and <laughs> also afterwards uh, i might just add that we actually met in person in prague uh, if, if you recall it was during a Digital News Initiative, uh, no, Digital... Uh, news Impact Summit, I think, yeah. News Impact Summit, okay, okay, yes, uh, News Impact yeah. Summit. Uh, there you were talking with your colleague about social video. So, uh, as, mm-hmm. as you said, you're also in charge of that, right? Yes, so to uh, my team specifically, we do sort of two things. We run the company's English language social media accounts. So we bring traffic to the content the rest of the newsroom produces. And we also make our own content that we promote on social. And one of the big content types that we produce is social videos. And they've been a huge driver of growth um, in the short time that we've been here. I mean, uh, I don't know if you remember, David, but um, at our uh, presentation at that summit, uh, we shared a number that was, if I recall correctly, yeah. Um, so in a year, 
from September 2015 to uh, September 2016, we grew from on Facebook from about 40,000 followers to over 330. Wow. Um, that's quite a I lot. Wow. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I give a lot of credit to us producing those sorts of videos um, because they are often drivers of, I find, explosive growth, right? And you, you, you get something that's... Uh, let's say it goes viral and that brings you so, so many more people, um, expands your audience basically overnight. So um, what kind of, what kind of uh, video content are you producing for your social channels? Is it ex uh, explainers so, and? Well, uh, that, that's actually been a new content, uh, video content, uh, type that we've been experimenting with recently. I can get into that, um, uh, later if you'd like, but, the ones that we've done in the past have been sort of your traditional uh, social videos, if you will, where we take video um, from our services, the regions that we cover, uh, and we package them into a social-friendly format um, and publish those on, you know, our Twitter and Facebook and everything. Um, we are the company. The radio is in a unique position in that we have bureaus and people in many places that aren't that are underreported or hard to access and we often get uh, good quality interesting stories from these places that are underreported and are able to use that video so you get a lot of scoops right uh, through throughout Europe and the world I guess uh, because of this right yes throughout our broadcast region uh, we are present in you know uh, some we have bureaus in 17, I believe, countries that we cover 26 different regions. Um, my, my team is able to source content from those bureaus and those services of ours, get get it translated and get it out on the on the internet. You have uh, yeah, like your your organization, your broadcasting organization. You have uh, another headquarter in Washington, right? I visited that one oh, year yeah. ago. Yes, yes, I, I was there one year ago uh, during a U.S. exchange. Uh, really, really big place, actually. <laughs> uh, I also visited your Prague headquarter like five years ago. And mm -hmm. I'd like to cool. geek out about <laughs> these buildings. I, I was again on some exchange and we visited those, uh, like your premises, studios, and uh, sort of like look, looked around and people explained how does everything work. It was mostly like radio related. I remember when I was in Prague, uh, uh, sound slides were a really big thing at, at, at mm. the moment. And uh, what I wanted to ask, like when we talked to the guys at US, they had the same problem uh, of like digital transformation. So I would really love to like, if, if you could tell us what was your, you said you came in, uh, like you came to Prague and you started your like, digital team which was the first one mm -hmm. and i'm like really curious what was the thinking behind that and what what did your bosses allow you allow you to do because obviously uh well, you had to convince uh, them yes uh well part of that is uh part of that is uh you know asking for forgiveness if necessary but uh and not asking for permission and experimenting that way um the other part of it is I think we were like uh, we, we had a blank slate because we were starting from nothing. And so my goal was to 
expand visually as much as possible, contribute visuals to uh, stories writers are working on and, you know, make videos, uh, make interactives. And I have a, a pretty diverse team. I have a social media producer. I have a senior visual journalist, a junior visual journalist, and every one of them came with different experience. And I wanted them all to start working together. And uh, my senior visual journalist, for instance, he comes from a print background and now he's making explainer videos. So uh, my big thing was that we should just, you know, push visually as much as possible to make our social media feeds as visual as possible. And I think, you know, because of that, we just started to get more and more engagement. I mean, it really was, there was nothing before me, uh, before my team. So it, we just kind of built on, built on small steps in a more visual direction. We also did the first 360 video at the company and uh, I think when folks here started seeing the success of some of our work, like my team has the most successful video as well. Um, when that success started to be noticed, we were allowed more and more latitude in the experiments we could do. Like I mentioned 360 video, or we were allowed to take on more and more ambitious projects. Like uh, the one that I recently finished a four part series on, um, this guy who was an attache at the U.S. Embassy in 1950s Russia. So, hmm. um, yeah, that was a great story. So I think they, they saw. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I saw. I think they saw that you know we were producing quality work and pushing the envelope in terms of presentation, and you know we we sort of earned trust and got the latitude we needed. Nice. So what do you think? And uh, did you? Oh, sorry. Go, <laughs> go ahead. Go. Oh, no, go, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think is the biggest challenge when it comes to digital storytelling and digital visualization of uh, journalistic pieces? I think it's, in my experience, it's always time. Um, for instance, with this most recent piece, this four part piece, I spaced it out in a way that I thought I would have plenty of time to take care of everything, but I was found myself always in a rush um, and it was a bit overwhelming. It's, it's always time. Like I always find that we need to compromise a bit on how extensive we, we present a story because we need to get it out in time. Uh, and also resources and money plays into that as well. I think, you are both probably familiar with journalism and how much in this industry we do a lot with little. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, um, might I ask? So before uh, before you joined uh, Radio Free Europe, you were working for uh, Al Jazeera in English, right? Yes, I was a digital and... producer on the show The Stream. Oh, so so was this something you, uh, where where you uh, got? Uh, uh, your your skills, or did you look around there, or was it more like uh, something new you started at Radio Free Europe? So, uh, well, I, I was doing the stream was a unique sort of show where there was a component that was online as well as live television, and so I was able to put my technical skills to the test. Uh, 
and build you know on-air visualizations for them as well as contribute to the actual website um, so the radio was sort of a logical continuation of this path I think and that's one of the things I find unique about digital journalism I think is because you can mix so many different things together so many different uh, backgrounds and skills if you will I mean you can have a digital journalist with a background in statistics just like you can have a digital journalist journalist with a design background you know you can have somebody with both that mixes those two and that's what makes this unique it's I think perfect for an indecisive person like me that took forever to decide <laughs> what they were going to do. So, you know, I did a little bit of IT stuff and then some design and, you know, this is where I wound up in journalism and I think it suits me well. So what do you think of, of the digital design uh, in the news industry right now, like in general? Um, like how... How, how things are looking, like, uh, yeah. aesthetically? Yeah, aesthetically, like, the general trends right now. I recently read an article on the outline with the... That's what I was going to mention, yeah. Yeah, the header of this article is, I... the web looks like shit. <laughs> Subheader, uh, using you know... the internet shouldn't be this hard. So, yeah. I was wondering, because when I, I read this article, it's it's pretty bullish so, so to speak and at one point uh, pretty early in the article the uh, the author writes between the platonic nothingness of medium and the easy to use automation of tumblr blah 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 I mean the platonic nothingness of medium sounds kind of harsh to me because I mean we all remember the early days of digital journalism the news industry uh, online, like by the end of the 90s or like mid uh, 2000s, it was very bloated. Lots mm, of yeah. things, lots of animations, lots of uh, very sharp colors and, and, and stuff. And now uh, I think, I mean, like for the past five years or so, um, basically since Apple launched its very simple design uh, the trend the the general trend has been to simplify and and to me it's mm -hmm. like medium is a simplified uh, website so to me the platonic nothingness of medium is very harsh and if i would compare the outline which is a lot more bold so to speak, um, I think I I prefer medium. So, what I see, yeah. And so I wonder what what are your thoughts on the trends of today, and do you think that this trend will continue, or do you think that we are um, in fact moving more towards something like the outline and similar websites? I, I agree with you. I like how you put it, that outline seems a bit bullish. Um, I think, uh, in general, I think design of, let's say, features, uh, feature articles or stories, I think design plays an editorial role in those, or should play an editorial role in those. Um, I think design of a story like that 
should be a conversation that's had with the person who's writing the person who's contributing visuals to the story it should be like everyone should be on the same page and it should be a team effort it isn't something that a writer hands to a design department and then you know they do their part and then they hand it to somebody else and they do their part uh, I don't like to work that way um, compartmentalizing all these different parts of the process so I think design is important and I think it can contribute to how a story is presented and that's that's where I see that's where I see the boring that's where I see how medium can be visually boring because it's clean it's accessible it's nice but it's all going to look the same um, and you're going to go from one article to another and you know I, I think there might be a element of visual fatigue that develops whereas the outline I think they sort of, if I recall correctly, they sort of even tailored the design of every piece uh, to the article. And I think that's a good experiment. Um, whether their design is too bold, that's a different question. I think subjective, maybe. Um, but I, I like what they're trying. I, I think also The Verge does this to some degree with their features. right? They Their feature articles have, if they're talking about, for instance, an Android phone, the fonts will be, you know, Android-based fonts on the page. These little touches, I think, contribute to what you're trying to, what story you're trying to tell. And so that's that's where I stand, and that's sort of what guides me when I'm uh, developing a story with someone. Um, with my last project, the Manhoff Archives from the 1950s Soviet Union, I tried to I tried to convey that using the design language, sort of. You know, I went out and I tried to find a font from that time uh, to use. The colors were inspired by the colors that I saw in the photos and videos that this guy was taking. And I think when you added all those little details together, they helped tell the story in a more in a more sort of engaging way, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, it's it's actually sounds really like the the ideal way of doing it which i always think of but never have time to do <laughs> if i could do things uh, or the like the right way and have like enough time for everything i would like totally do it this way so like look at the project as as an individual project uh do do like a specific research to that project and like think about how to uh, convey or, or transform all those like informations and uh, things I gathered about the project and like think about the specific way I can do digital storytelling that like this uh, type of content like would deserve and would like be the best for it. Yeah, and but I, I never have time for that. No, never. Yeah, it's also yeah. time-consuming. All the cool things you want to do is so time-consuming. But I just wanted to add that you know I I totally agree with uh, what you're both saying. I also think, I mean, I like that the outline are experimenting. We should experiment much more than we do. But one thing uh, that I've been thinking a lot about quite recently, you know, um, during the recent months or so, is the fact that like medium, 
because even though I like the outline, I like their content and I like the, their visual presentation, I will always prefer Medium uh, because it's accessible and very simple. And one thing that simplicity actually add is the ability to design features um, as, as a, a real user feature. If you know what I mean, I'm I'm thinking uh, specifically of series. I mean, medium series is not perfect at all, but I like the fact that mm. the feature of medium series is mainly about how an article is written, how it's read, and how it's updated. Um, at first glance, I thought that okay, medium series, it's a it's a copy of the Stellar app. Have you have you used the Stellar app? No, I haven't. You should. What's it's that? a pretty cool social media app. <laughs> uh, it's like they're trying to be a, a combination of Instagram and uh, blogs. Uh, so it's it's very visual. Um, anyway, I thought that Medium series was oh, like a know. copy of Stellar, but then. Um, you know, when I actually started using it frequently and when I got notifications of stories being updated, um, I realized that this is actually Medium's um, sort of, it, it's, it's an Instagram stories or Facebook stories, but on Medium. Because it's, it's, a, it's the t same basic concept of a story that mm -hmm. doesn't end, like... If you write an article, you you have the you have the preamble, uh, you have the header, the preamble, everything, and you publish it, and it's it's done, it's finished. But with the stories, with the Instagram stories, you upload one image. Three hours later, you upload an, another image and a video and so uh, whatever. It just it continuously lives on, so to speak. And it's the same thing with the Medium series. So I guess that's what I like about the simplicity. And it feels to me like the social platforms are experimenting more with these types of designs, how to actually consume the feature instead of like the outline, which is basically a pretty ordinary news outlet, but with a different visual presentation. What are your thoughts on, on yes. that? I, I, well, I think it, Medium has what you said, uh, one big thing going for it, that it's accessible, right? It, it, um, everyone, everyone can publish to the same degree on Medium and be guaranteed a certain feature set and quality, right? Uh, but uh, the, what the outline is doing is, I mean, it, it, it's, it's hard it would be difficult to provide a platform where everybody could design something as unique as every outline piece. So I think what Medium does, it does well. Um, and that is provide a solid common denominator for everyone to use, uh, where the reading experience and the consumption experience is pleasant. It's, you know, slick. I think they're, I still think they're two different spheres and, and two different products really, so. What do you think, David? I follow what's going on. I don't have a strong 
like opinion like you two have about the the trend. I like what Medium is doing. I also like what Outline is doing, but I think that that is something anyone like can uh, do uh, in in terms of I can go there, write an article, and make it look really nice, really fast. And Outline is doing something more bold, something like really innovative, uh, and they are trying to like push the they are trying to push the barriers. But I think that's not for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, and Medium almost turns um, long form writing into. I mean, it, it's sort of the long form social network. I think at this point, yeah. and I've been actually considering putting some of our blog content on there as just another place that it can live. Yes. Yes. This. This actually. But I think. I think we could all agree on the fact that I mean. We both like Medium, obviously. We both like the outline, and we like that the outline are experimenting. What about what about that aspect of digital visual presentation? I mean, we have outline and the verge as two examples, but it seems to me that the social networks are actually um, a lot more, you know, I mean, they are ahead of us. They are ahead of the news industry when it comes to, to innovative ways of consuming content. Yeah, I, I, I think that's partly due to the fact that they're sort of holding the reins of all of this. Uh, <laughs> uh, they, ha they, ha they have a lot of control in our industry, I think. Um, but, you know, I think we are innovating as well. Uh, you know, you see what the New York Times is doing. And it, it, I think all of us are sort of, sometimes I feel like we're all in a race to, to present something that becomes the next trend in, you know, news design. Uh, and when it comes to these social networks, you know, they're innovating in ways that they can, they, they can capitalize on traffic that they're not necessarily, I, I think, thinking of our best interests sometimes. So, so what needs I, to be done uh, in the news industry when it comes to, to more innovative storytelling? Uh, well, I, I think what has a particular potential or what I'm interested in exploring more is personalization of uh, stories uh, and this ties into data stories. I think data or interactive journalism can in and of itself distance itself from the reader. Uh, when you see lots of charts and, and numbers, uh, it, they become I feel a bit impersonal. So putting the reader, putting the audience uh, in, sorry, bringing them closer to data, I think is something that I, I'm, I'd like to explore, personalizing interactives. Like the BBC had a great one that I always think of where uh, you learned about, you know, sort of the stature and physical uh, characteristics of Olympians by plugging your own uh, appearance in, and then it would spit out, you know, which Olympian you're most like physically. And I think that's a great way to connect with data and interactive storytelling is by, uh, you know, 
personalizing it, basically. So that, that's one of the things that I'll be exploring um, and that I'm looking forward to. But do, do, do you think there's a re recipe for the newsrooms out there or is it more like built on um, individuals with uh, like uh, digital skills as, as you are and, and uh, uh, for people like this to, to, to start because you are like, uh, you can like you can do as I read on your website. You can do front end development, back end development. You 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 obviously uh, know your way around digital storytelling, and and these are skills I feel like a lot not very many journalists have actually, and maybe some newsrooms lack at all. In my case, it's just like I mentioned earlier, a byproduct of me taking a very long roundabout way into this career. Um, but for people starting out, I think, you know, A, there you can uh, learn it if you, you know, I, I think persistence is key. Uh, and now more than ever, there are so many resources available. So um, there was this project where somebody built went something like 90 websites in 90 days and every one of them was more complex than the one the day prior and at the end of this period they were you know completely proficient it's and the key i think is persistence uh on the other hand you have i think this this industry uh likes templatized tools or you know tool sets um there are there are visualization tools online that you know, as journalists can use to make charts, to make maps. Um, and th those give you, I think, a starting point. You always, of course, have to custom uh, compromise on the customization that you can do, but I, it's at least the starting point, I think. And uh, I think more tools are being developed, you know, all the time for us. And so what's, what's your take on the notorious question of the last decade, journalists and, and coding, does, does it go together? Is it for like, should everyone know about that? What, what's, what's your take on that? I, I, you know, I don't think that everyone should have uh, a certain degree of, you know, uh, programming knowledge. Uh, only if you want to, I, you know, I, I don't think it's a requisite, um, actually. Um, I think there are some folks that are, for instance, content in writing or editing. Uh, there are some folks like myself that likes to like to mix uh, design, code, visuals. Um, I don't think that you have to have a certain level of code or design or whatever to be a journalist nowadays. Others will disagree with me, but I don't. I mean, if you want to go into, if you want to go into, uh, if you want to bring code into the newsroom and you want to produce interactive journalism, then yes, you know, you're going to need that skill set. If that's not the type of content you want to produce, then, you know, so be it. Yeah, I think uh, for for your team and you, it was easier because you know all these things. Uh, 
What do you mean? I mean, have... I mean, I mean the beginning. So, so when when, you, when your team started, you didn't have to like maybe ask for like two developers, uh, graphic people to 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 the the I... company to give you. Uh, I will. I would love, you know, to expand my team and to and to be able to ask that. Uh, but uh, I mean, we all started from different places with different concentrations, and I think the big thing was figuring out in the beginning how to bring all this together and produce our content, uh, our visual content. Uh, so we tap into the strengths that each person has. Um, you know, my the senior visual designer I have, he has a unique ability to visualize stuff that's ordinarily very difficult. Um, and this comes from his years in the print industry, but it translates well into what we're doing now. Uh, my junior visual journalist is can look at data in a very good way, and he's very good with that, combing through data. And so we capitalize on that strength, you know? so. I think it, you know, it'd be nice to have more people or more developers, um, but we're doing all right now. We're just oh uh, no, well, you're you're doing great. Like from the outside, <laughs> it's definitely great work, uh, guys. I think uh, <clears throat> we're gonna need to wrap it up pretty soon. But I really wanted to before we before we end this recording. Uh, before we end this episode, I just wanted to pick up uh, regarding the the things you said about about personalization and also about uh, these things being very time consuming because uh, during the terrorist attack in Stockholm uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was pretty I mean it was obvious to anybody that uh, the major news outlets were the places where where people would go to get the information, uh, which means that you know when when big stuff happens, when breaking news events happens, people generally seek out us, the traditional mm -hmm. or I mean the major media outlets. They don't go to Facebook when it's breaking news uh, events. At least not in Sweden, and I would—I mean, I assume that it's the same thing uh, in other countries too. That when when this stuff happens, that's when we have our traffic peak, so to speak. But the thing—I mean—the big challenge, as far as I'm concerned, is that people could go to Facebook during an ordinary Tuesday before lunch, and they will always find something relevant to them or something interesting while we you know i mean we in the news industry we are obviously working with news so mm, we are very dependent on things happening because that's when people turn to us when when major things happen but when major things don't happen because that's that's like a standard day, a standard week. There's not, I mean, semi-big things happening, but most of the times nothing really big is happening. So, uh, what I'm trying to say is like, if if we uh, do these things that are extremely time-consuming, it all also 
often means that they are time consuming to actually consume as a user, as a reader. Like it's it's a little bit extreme. Either we're working with fast uh, news or we are working with long read formats with uh, I mean 10,000 words articles uh, packed with visuals like charts and images and animations and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So I mean how could we address that challenge? How could we uh, with personalization and with uh, I mean vi visual presentation always be relevant even on a Tuesday before lunch when nothing really big is happening you know um, I think what you said about uh, people turning to you when there's a big event happening like what happened in Stockholm uh, I think, first of all, that's a compliment to the, you know, our industry that they do yeah. do that. Absolutely. You know, um, because they, they know that they can, they're turning to you because they trust you, right? And they depend on you. Hmm. Uh, for the other times, for, for the times when things aren't happening, you know, I, I find that the long form content that we do, and this is just based on uh, what we've done here at the radio, it it pays dividends long after it's been made. So to give you a specific example, I did a piece with Amos, our photographer, uh, on these truckers that drive on uh, frozen rivers during the winter in Siberia to deliver supplies to remote villages. And this was a, you know entirely visual-based piece that was presented in sort of like a slideshow kind of format. And that was in February of 2016, if I recall correctly. And uh, at least once a week since February 2016, that story comes up in the top three uh, most read stories every, uh, at least once a week. You know? oh. And the, the frequency at which this happens seems to increase during the winter. You know, and it's a frozen, very cold, wintry story, so it makes sense. It it is. It, it, this evergreen content, uh, these unique stories, I believe that they continue to pay out in terms of traffic, uh, and so even you know right after something like this is published, and I don't see a large enough audience immediately after, I I have stopped worrying because. You know, something may happen down the line, or uh, it may get popular later. I, it, it, it's just, uh, you know, I, I found the nature of these long stories, and so that's why I can justify spend burying my head in the sand and working on only one thing for like two weeks, three weeks, or in the case of this Manhoff archives, it's been over a month, um, because they do come back up. Uh, and they keep paying out. Makes wow, sense. Wow, that's, that's, that's actually a great ending. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like uh, a, a lot to draw on. Cool. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I guess our time is up. It's amazing, actually. I, I learned a lot. I don't know how about you, Henrik, but oh, uh, I, 
Yeah, it's been, it's been a great conversation. It was a pleasure to have you on the show, uh, Wojtek. Uh, um, thanks so much, Henry. Yeah, let's hope uh, we could have some more. I mean, let's hope we can continue this conversation in in the Slack community and on other places. Uh, because I think this is, yeah. I mean, it's a pretty, it's pretty crucial uh, topics for the news industry that, that we've discussed in this episode. Definitely. Yes, uh, it's, it's a must, must listen. <laughs> yeah. So uh, th thanks so much for having me. Th thanks for making the time. Actually, uh, we, we know you're, you're busy as uh, and anyone My doing pleasure. stuff like this. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming up. Yeah, it was great talking to you, Wojtek. And um, let's uh, continue the discussion in the Slack community. All right. Likewise. Take yeah. care, guys. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. And hey, don't forget to check out our website, which is checkyourfacts.eu. That's EU as in the European Union, still standing. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter. Follow us on all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are active also on Anchor. And uh, most of all, listen to us on SoundCloud or iTunes. You can subscribe uh, to uh, our podcast on whatever app you like. You'll find the RSS feed uh, on, on the checkyourfacts.eu website. And Henrik, what else? Don't forget to always check your facts. <laughs>